Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, along with Aaron Fitt. I'm John Manuel. This podcast is sponsored by Louisville Slugger. Leave your mark with a 2014 attack, raid, and assault bat lineup this season. Stronger, lighter, farther. Louisville Slugger. Aaron, uh, you didn't have to go far this weekend. Stayed home. Saw a little uh, college baseball here in the Triangle area. And the preseason, Aaron, I think we thought that this was going to be a big year in the state of North Carolina, both from a draft perspective and from a good team perspective. Still think it's going to be a good year draft-wise because I still think uh, we had our draft rankings last weekend, or I should say on Friday. Uh, we dropped Carlos Rodon and Trey Turner a bit, but both those guys, uh, especially Rodon, was very good, I should say, on uh, on Friday in a loss. Trey Turner not as great this weekend. Um, but North Carolina and NC State, uh, I know we talk about them a decent amount, but Aaron, I just thought that NC State was one of the teams we talked about in our rankings today. We'll talk a lot about the Atlantic Coast Conference that that league, Aaron, is quite jumbled, and it's had the number one team now for several weeks in a row, Florida State, and now the Seminoles lost a series to Georgia Tech. They give way to Virginia, and we have Miami streaking with 12 straight wins. The Hurricanes jump up to 15 in our rankings. Then there's Clemson down at 22, but the rest of that league, Aaron, is pretty doggone jumbled, and you did your first uh, you know, 64-team midseason update field last week. It's it's very difficult to see this league. Th- those are the only host possibilities, really, aren't they? Florida State, Virginia, and Miami. I, mean, I guess is it possible that someone else from the ACC could host? It really feels like this league is kind of underachieving this year. You know, John, I think I think you're right. I think it's it's very top heavy, and um, you know, we, we thought coming into the season that there were three elite teams: Florida State, Virginia, and NC State. And right. Two of those teams are elite, you know, Florida State and Virginia. Um, and we thought Clemson and Miami were in that very good category, that potential Omaha team category. And I think Miami is now proving that I think, you know, they are who we, we thought they were. I mean, you know, they played a tough schedule. They had a little slump. They didn't get off to a great first half. But now they're hot. Um, you know, they're, they're figured out their, their defense. I mean, putting Johnny Ruiz at third base has stabilized the defense a little bit, having, you know, Lopez back at shortstop and Hernandez at second. Now, now they've got their defense configured properly. Um, their bullpen has become a strength with Brian Garcia, the freshman at the back, and Cooper Hammond, the setup guy, uh, low slot guy. You know, it's a good little one-two punch. Two freshmen who performed for them. Um, and, of course, we knew their, their rotation was going to be a strength. With, uh, with those three left-handers, and, and it has been. So um, I, I still think – and then the other freshmen, John, are, are hitting for him. Collins, right. and you know, Collins, you recall, got off to a brutal start to the season. Yep. Now he's hitting. And so I, I think, you know, and yes, the schedule has, has eased up a little bit for them in recent weeks. But, hey, during this 12-game win streak, um, you know, they still had to go on the road for two of those series, and they swept NC State on the road, and we know NC State is, you know, not a top-five team. But still, it's a road series sweep against a talented team. Um, and then Virginia Tech, they swept on the road. And then at home, they swept the Pittsburgh team, which had swept, you know, Georgia Tech a few weeks ago. So um, it's not like they're gimmies here. I mean, I, th- I think it's tempting to say, well, yeah, you know, the ACC has a couple of teams at the top because it's easier in the ACC um, to rack up these gaudy conference records than it is in the SEC because the SEC is deeper. And that's true. Um, but that said, you know, Virginia is the real deal. We knew it from the beginning of the year. We never deviated from that opinion. They're the real deal. No uh, doubt. They're, they're better than any team in the country, period. I agree. Know. I agree. They have the least flaws, Aaron. They, I mean, they really they, – they have this incredibly deep lineup that hasn't performed, but that's also going to get Fisher back. Fisher yep. back. <laughs> Sorry. That's right. Baseball America inside joke there. I, I could not resist. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, th- this team pitches. Uh, they've got a bullpen from hell. They've got uh, power. They've got speed. They've got a lot of ways to score runs. They just have They have not done it consistently. Right. They're still outscoring their opponents by 120 runs. It's a, it's a, this, this is the best team in the country. Yeah. Uh, whether they win the national championship or not, different story. Sure. Halfway through the season, I feel very comfortable, comfortable and confident saying Virginia is the best team in the country, and they're the best team in the Atlantic Coast Conference. With Florida State, a very close two, but a you know kind of a, a I wouldn't say disconcerting, a disappointing though I think series loss for Florida State. 
this weekend, and one of those real quirky teams in the ACC is Georgia Tech, Aaron, and we've talked about them some on the podcast this year as well, but really feels that between Wake Forest, which had kind of a golden opportunity against the weakened North Carolina team, but North Carolina won the series but couldn't sweep, so Wake Forest kind of keeps, I think, very strong regional chances alive. Clemson, Maryland, North Carolina, Georgia Tech, NC State, Duke, uh, Pittsburgh, I guess, has to be in that conversation, sort of. Virginia Tech on the fringe of that. that if any of those teams made regionals, it wouldn't stun me, Aaron. It's just, there's just no separation in there. We, did well, move, we moved Georgia Tech into the rankings this weekend, though, because I guess on paper, in terms of its resume, Georgia Tech has the best resume out of those teams. Yeah, they, they have a series win against Miami. They have a road series win at North Carolina. Uh, they swept Duke, and, and they, have a road, they have a home series win against Florida State. So those four weekends... Um, you know, make for a pretty solid resume. And they're 10-8 and 8 in the league now. They're 35 in the RPI. I mean, Georgia Tech is now looking like uh, they're on track to be a, a, a safe regional team. But that said, you know, they've got some road series looming on their schedule here. So it's still um, – they're far from a gimme still. I mean, uh, you know, last week I had them just outside of 64. Today I would have them certainly in. Um, but, you know, they're at Maryland. They're at NC State. They're at Virginia through the, through their last four conference series. So they're still – ample opportunity here for Georgia Tech to blow this. But right now, <laughs> um, it looks pretty good. North Carolina, I feel like, is in trouble because they're 84th in the RPI. Unreal. They're 500 in the league, and they're just they're just okay, as we've talked about. I mean, I do think it was encouraging. I was at that game Sunday in Chapel Hill, and I was encouraged that Sky Bolt performed, John. I think maybe, maybe this is a, a, a breakout game because he looked really good. He had four hits. He had two doubles. Off on the left side, and, and if you recall yep. last year, John wasn't it that he stopped. He stopped hitting from left side altogether, and even against righties, oh, wasn't yeah. it? He, he was right on right. I mean, so to me, it was very encouraging that he he stung the ball from the left side. It was in the that, regional. It was in the regional, Aaron. That he I believe it was in the regional when a right a, a reliever came in from the right side, and Skybolt stood in the right-handed batter's box, took a pitch. And Mike Fox, the head coach who coaches third base, called timeout and came down and said, "Hey." what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, like that, I, I don't think he did those things like batted right on right as a plan. I think he did it from a complete lack of confidence in his ability to hit left-handed. So I, I agree with you. It's, it does feel like North Carolina offensively is starting to turn the corner with Bolt, Lassiter, both starting to hit a little bit. And they've got some other pieces. It's the pitching really outside of Thornton. Moss has just been okay. And then Hovis in the bullpen outside of those three guys, this once very vaunted, deep North Carolina pitching staff right now is just trying to figure it out. I guess Trevor Kelly started to pitch well for them, but um, you know they've leaned very heavily on Zach Rice and Spencer Trainer, a couple of freshmen in their bullpen, and those guys are good, but they're not great. It's just not a great. It's not a deep North Carolina pitching staff. Yeah, and, and Kelly was good yesterday. Um, He's been good for a while now, it appears. Yeah, but you know Wake Forest still came back and made. Um, you know, and won that game yesterday. You know, which kudos to Wake Forest because you know you're on the road. You lost the first two games. It's a big series. They didn't get swept, um, and that's kind of like Florida State. I mean, you know, we we say Florida State not a great series loss at Georgia Tech, but it is on the road, and they were down four nothing, and they showed enough character to come back and win the game. So you know that matters. Not getting swept, and, and Wake Forest to me, I'm the jury's still out for me. I mean, I. Uh, I, I'm not in love with their, their, their pitching, but you know, they've got some decent college arms and, um, sounds like their middle, of their lineup is fairly formidable though. There, there's, yeah. there's some, there's some thump there. And as you study their team and, and talk to other coaches about them, the, the sense that I've gotten is that the strength of that team is that they're somewhat offensive. They can hit some yeah. home runs. They can catch up even to good pitching as they showed Jake Stinnett and Maryland last weekend. And Matt Conway and, and, um, Craig, right? Will, Will Craig. Craig at third base. Those guys are big, you know, big dudes, imposing guys. And Craig hit a home run yesterday on a on a slider from from Zach Gallon that he, he just crushed. Um, and uh, you know, I guess he but he had actually been scuffling a little bit lately, so it was good to see him break out also. Um, but you know, and then we talked, I think, last week about the the, the veterans that they have on their team. Um, you know, the, the seniors that that matters, and I, I think they're in the mix. They're they're just outside the top sixty in the RPI. They're second place in, in the ACC Atlantic Division at 11-7, and seven. so they're in a decent spot here. Maryland is just 7-10 in the league, but they're 21 in the RPI, so that still puts them in a pretty good position for regionals. And NC State we have to talk about uh, yep. because they you know they blew that game on Sunday. 
Um, a game that is just, it's almost inexplicable that they would be six outs away from a crucial, technically a road series victory in a series that really, oh, when you're six and 12 in the league or five and 12, I guess they were six and 11 at that time, in a, in a weekend where a series you have to win and they blow a six run lead with six outs to go to a Duke team that's not known for its offense. And Aaron, NC State just. I think nationally people say, well, Rodon's two and six. He's struggling. Maybe he's getting overused. There are all these other debates. From a practical, we can, we can have that debate if you want to, but from a practical standpoint, as far as their pitching and them trying to get back to regionals and the Caldwell series, Carlos Rodon is the least of their problems. No, you're right. And Rodon was probably the best he's been all year on Friday. Um, you know, I thought his velocity was up. He was sitting 94-96 the first three innings, and then he was 92-94 thereafter pretty comfortably, touched some fives. Slider was unhittable. Um, His cutter was very good. His changeup showed flashes, and he threw that more than he has been. Um, And and, the the big thing was when when the ball was up early in the game, it was hit. You know, 95, elevated. Some guy named Perkins that Rodon's never even heard of and, you know, (laughs) I mean, was very dismissive of and said it's the only time he'll ever hit me in his life. Well, he hit you. He hit hit a dead center field over the fence because the fastball was up. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I mean, it, yeah, that's Carlos being Carlos. That's you know, right. There's going to be bravado there. There's going to be defiance. But, you know, he lost. He is 2-6. and six, And uh, I'm sure it's got to be frustrating for him. But he's, you're right. He's not the problem. Um, you know, the problem is everybody else on the pitching staff, really. <laughs> I mean, you know, besides the Peterson twins now, I mean, I, I got a good look at – um, you know, Eric Peterson on, on Saturday, um, he came out of the bullpen. After they, they started a freshman named Williamson, Ryan Williamson, who's who only pitched nine innings all season. He got the start Saturday. Right. And then um, he, he got him into, what, the third inning, I think. And then they went to the, the you know one of the Peterson brothers, and, you know, he did a good job. And I feel like he's probably – I think what they're going to have to do is go Redon and then two Petersons in their rotation because I guess Patrick Peterson pitched well on Sunday – um, but they, you know, they, they need to piece it together with all the other guys in the bullpen. Andrew Wick didn't throw this weekend. You have to wonder what's going on there. Is he fatigued? Cause they've been leaning on him a little bit. Uh, I think Brad Stone maybe, um, you know, has is not, certainly not a hundred percent. I don't know if there's a dead arm thing there or what. Um, and then, you know, Jernigan has struggled with his control as, as per the course of his career. I mean, just when you think he's figured it out, he goes backwards. So, um, their pitching to me is, is a real concern. And I just – you watch them, John, and, and, you know, I like to say that I still believe in, in their talent because I believe in Redon and Turner. But I don't know if I believe in the rest of their talent. I mean, Austin's had a good year. You know, give him credit. But they had Logan Ratledge hitting in the cleanup spot on Saturday, and he's hitting like 220. I mean, wow. you know, they're, they're not a very good offensive team. They don't execute. They don't scare you. And um, – Basically, Andrew Kisner, Brett Austin – Outside of those guys, they just haven't been very good this year. Trey Turner just—he just has not been dynamic. It's really—it's kind of stunning to watch him play this year. Because uh, I, you know, I, you know what, how I feel about Trey Turner. I'm a huge fan, and he just doesn't seem like he's nearly as dynamic no. or impactful as he's been in the past. And you know, it's just not yeah. a, It's just not a, a, to me. This is just not. This team is not who we thought they were. I'm not sure they're as talented as we thought they were. Uh, I think yeah, I've talked to a couple of area scouts around here who don't even have their other juniors turned in besides Turner and Rodon. So we thought you know, he's a team with two first-round picks and then maybe some other single-digit picks in Fincher, maybe in Ratledge, uh, maybe Austin, maybe uh, Jernigan. Uh, Jernigan is another one, uh, you know, the cheese ball of mine. And I don't think uh, – I talked to two area scouts who just – one guy said, I don't have any of those other guys turned in besides Turner and Rodon. And another area scout I asked two weeks later said, yeah, I'm with that guy. I don't have them turned in either. So that's, you know, what do you do with those? Again, I, I think, you know, I just don't think they're as good as we thought they were. I mean, I thought Jake Fincher had, uh, I, I've always been a fan of his. thought he was a really good college player. He had a good summer last year on the Cape. He still has no home runs the last two years. He just doesn't drive the ball consistently. It's the same swing. And he's not as dynamic on the base paths either. So it's yeah. just not a, you know, that's a team with a lot of speed. I think of as one of the faster college baseball teams I've seen. Opponents have stolen more bases than they have. So I just think there's a lot of trouble here. And that loss yesterday was a pretty, 
pretty brutal laws. I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to say about them, but I thought we could move on from the ACC. Yeah, you know, I was just going to say, I think we should move on too, but to me, the difference between them and like Indiana, there was a preseason top five team that got off to a slow start, and we always, I think, kept believing in Indiana because it's more than just two guys. You know, Indiana has more depth of real talent, you know, with with Donley and Demuth and, you know, some of these other pieces in there. It's not just Schwarber and Travis and, and, you know, Joey Donato and um, Efros and, you know, on the mound they've got pieces they've pitched. Um, Indiana's gotten hot now and it's a team that I think will make a move up the rankings pretty quickly here soon. Um, They had, you know, a four-in-one week here this week and they're scoring runs um, and I think they're going to be really imposing here down the stretch uh, even though they've had some injuries. That's a team that has lost their closer, and they lost Kyle Hart, their number two starter, and they're still plugging along here and, and actually playing better than they had been. So they're um, great, it's a, it's a great, I think that's a great example to bring up, Aaron, just to kind of pivot a little bit here on the podcast, because that's a team that we've talked about with NC State before, and we're talking about with Indiana now. What is your team identity? You know, like in football, teams talk about, well, when you're in trouble, what play do you run? Do you have a base of plays or your identity that you can execute when when you need to, when you have to have a positive play. feels like, you know, again, this Indiana team knows its identity. They've got these a couple of starters they lean on heavily. They've got this powerful middle of the order, and that's who they are. And uh, another team I think that knows kind of who it is is Cal Poly, uh, Louisiana Lafayette. Those teams have been exactly what we thought they would be coming into the year, you know, I, I, it is still stunning, Aaron, to look at the top of our rankings and see Cal Poly 3 and Lafayette 2. Um, are, are you stunned? I mean, I know you believed in both those teams coming in, but did you think they'd be this good? Well, I mean, Poly in particular has really exceeded my expectations because, right. of the, because of the pitching. You know, I just didn't know what to make of their starting pitching. And, you know, Casey Bloomquist has been the real key guy. I mean, they still have Slater Lee kind of dropped off, and they, they put him back in rotation this weekend, and it wasn't great. Uh, but but Bloomquist has been the key guy for them. I think he's 8-0. Um, you know, so that's a team that I liked a lot. And we had them outside the top 25 in the preseason, just outside. They right. You know, right there. But to see them number three, that to me is, is the surprise. I mean, Lafayette, um, if you would have told me before the season, hey, Louisiana Lafayette will be number two in the country uh, after nine weeks, I'd have been like, okay. You know, I, I could absolutely see that. Right. Uh, the Fit Matrix loved the Cajuns. It did. It did. Um, and, you know, and, and I thought it was very encouraging for the Cajuns that, to get Greg Milhorn back now. And he threw in his second appearance back this weekend through four strong innings. Um, I, I think he is a key guy. You know, it gives him that extra arm. But, you know, Cody Booty is, is stepped up for him there in the rotation when they lost Milhorn. And Baranek has kept on going. So, um, you know, there people people ask on Twitter a lot, well, what if, the Cajuns were in the SEC, you know, well, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be 30 and whatever they are, 34 and four. Uh, well, no kidding. I mean, they wouldn't be, but I still think they would be a top 10 team. I think that they might still be, you know, near the top of, of, of you know, the rankings because uh, not just because of the small sample size, but when they played SEC teams, you know, they, they took two out of three against Alabama, the first place team in the league. And they, they won a midweek, a shortened midweek game at LSU. But I just think they're, you know, their talent is as good as any team in that league and maybe better. You know, right. honestly, I think it may be a more talented team than any team in the SEC. And, yeah, position they would lose some series. Wise, position player-wise and hitter-wise, at the <clears throat> junior and senior level, I think you're absolutely right. I think that they they have better position players or as good or better position players than, than any SEC team. Do I think they have as much pitching depth as some of the SEC teams? I don't. That's the difference. And I've again, I talked to a guy last week, like I was telling you on the uh, hangout. Um, his real question with Lafayette is, can they handle velocity? And there's not a lot. I don't know all the pitchers they face, but I just go back to the um, uh, Alabama series. I mean, they face face Spencer Turnbull, and they only had two hits in that game. Alabama yeah. made three errors. Turnbull had a couple walks, and they won that game two nothing. And Turnbull's got big time velo, so they did struggle in that game. Um, you know, the questions that this scout had is that, you know, their hitting coach, Matt Deggs, very uh, well-known for being a very aggressive hitting coach. You know, those guys take big cuts, Aaron. They take big hacks, and sometimes there's no contact. You look up and down the numbers for Louisiana Lafayette, and you get some big strikeout-to-walk ratios. But their power, if they catch up to one, their power is going to be a separator for them. And, uh, you know, so – we'll. How many teams really have the depth of velocity 
to and, and how many teams are can hit velocity in college baseball? So you know, does it make them that different from other teams? And it makes them more dangerous in some ways than a lot of other teams they they see. So I'm with you. I think Lafayette has kind of proved it's legit. It certainly helps their cause as the, as we go on as the season progresses. Alabama, we're halfway through, and Alabama is a team they play. They won the series. They shut Alabama out twice. Alabama right now, Aaron, has the best record in the Southeastern Conference. We finally have a little separation in the SEC. Alabama leads the West. Florida leads the East. If if I told you preseason that those two teams would be leading the Southeastern Conference race halfway through, would that have surprised you? I, I have a feeling it would not have surprised you very much. I don't think anything in the SEC would have surprised me too much, you know, except for, you know, Missouri and, and you know, Auburn or Tennessee. Well, those guys, Missouri and Auburn were leading their divisions. Right. Uh, that would have surprised me. But any of those top 10 teams leading it? No. I mean, uh, it's, it's the SEC. It's, it's just, it's muddled. That's, that's what it is. It's just muddled. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's crazy how much these teams beat each other up. And, um, you know, I think Alabama heading into the season, we thought was a real, we thought was a real sleeper. A lot yep. of people did. Um, if by sleeper, I mean they were they were a top twenty five team that we thought had a chance to go to Omaha. And you know, Florida was so talented but young, and it just was a matter of how fast they grew up. But you know, Florida, you have to be impressed with what they've done um, in the midweek, taking those three games against Florida State, um, and then the two weekend series sweeping LSU, taking two out of three at South Carolina. Those are two really good weeks. Um, and you know their body of work is is impressive, and, and they have some hiccups. You know they have some series losses. They had the the one and three weekend at home back in the non conference, but since then they've really they've really done a, a great job against a tough schedule. And uh, you know I, I thought it was it was fascinating the way that they won that extra inning game against South Carolina, alternating their pitching. Um, that you know, was with, awesome. With AJ Puck going from first base to the mound to first base to the mound, and and Schaefer going from right field to the mound. I mean it's. Uh, it's very unusual, <laughs> but it worked for him. I mean, Aaron, really, which is which is harder for a pitcher to do? Which is tougher on their health? Throwing 134 pitches when you're kind of used to throwing 100, 100 plus, or playing first base and you pitch and you pit first base and you pitch. We don't know. No, we don't know. We have a lot more data on the former, but the the, the latter is extremely unusual. Yeah, but we just don't know. So I mean, just. These definitive statements about pitching and pitch counts for a small divergence bug me because we don't know. There's studies, but we really don't know. And there's so many factors that lead to pitching injuries, we really don't know. I apologize for that call. Aaron, a little interruption there, but we'll come back just right back talking about the Gators. And uh, just uh, it is pretty fascinating. Have you? Can you remember another team doing that with position players and... Uh, pitchers switching them back and forth, and I, I can't remember that. And I also can't remember a team with this uh, in the SEC this young um, having the kind of success that Florida's having with such youth. I mean, maybe since Florida, <laughs> two thousand ten. Yeah, that 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 would be the last the last one that really comes to mind. Um, and as far as your other question, I mean, what Dave Winfield? I mean, yeah, uh, you know, they're, they're, you're right. You, you just don't see that very often, and. and I agree. You know, I don't know if that's good for a guy's arm or not. I mean, but I, I do, I do trust Kevin O'Sullivan's track record. He's got a great track record of protecting arms, and um, you know, but that's, but that, that's another great example, John. I mean, people gnash their teeth about pitch counts. Well, you know, look at Carson Whitson's pitch count when he was a freshman. Great they were, point. They, they couldn't have been more careful with the guy. You know, I don't know if he ever pitched seven innings his freshman year. I mean, it was really, uh, he never went over a hundred pitches, and he still got hurt. You know, you just, like you said, you just don't know. Uh, what yeah. about what Texas did yesterday with Nathan Thornhill through a complete game? They had a two-hour rain delay in the middle of the game in the fifth inning, and he came back out. To me, that that's more troublesome, but I don't know. I mean, who knows what causes this stuff? We just don't know. I mean, we have some ideas, but the ideas that we thought we had that we thought were working, don't you think the Major League Baseball industry is trying to do those things? And there's, those guys get hurt all the time. So we yep. just we just don't know. I'm not saying that absolves coaches of criticism. I'm saying it, that there's just no absolutes. So criticism based on absolutes, I think, is just empty and yes. it's not worthless, but it's not constructive. So I, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not here to shill for coaches. Do I think it was a good thing that Elliot Avent sent Carlos Rodon back out when he threw 118 pitches? No. Do I understand it? Yes. You and Clint were there, and he dealt 
So yeah, at that point in the game, I mean, the first four innings were were kind of high stress innings. You had base runners, you had things going on, and the last five innings uh, or four innings were really he was cruising. I mean, it was really economical, and uh, I think he retired. You know, twelve out of the last fourteen guys he faced, and you know, it was it was it was low stress, and he's a physical guy, and you know, yes, it was one day. That's the other thing is people say, oh, it was on short rest. Well, you know, it was five days rest, for God's sake. It's not the same as short rest in pro ball, and I just think it's a distortion to try to frame it that way. Um, it's still more rest than any, any pro pitcher gets. Yeah, it's just not the same. He's throwing to Duke's hitters. <laughs> you know, he's not throwing to the big leagues. It's just, it's just different. It's just apples and oranges. Um, I am impressed by the Gators, Aaron. Uh, I have two quick Twitter questions, and we'll go back in the SEC one of them uh, involves NC State. We've talked about them a lot, but can a team's performance or lack thereof appreciably damage a pitching prospect's da- draft spot stock? That's from James Curl, who runs the Riddick and uh, Reynolds and Riddick podcast on NC State. Uh, NC State fan, obviously speaking of Carlos Rodon, there. I mean, to me, it does feel like NC State's poor defense affected Carlos's pitching performance this year, in that he didn't pitch with as much conviction. He, uh, he didn't throw the slider with as much conviction because. Brett Austin's receiving skills still scouts criticize those pretty heavily. Um, and then his uh, Carlos's body language when his defense behind him would fail him was not a positive. So those things affected his stock somewhat. But I still think if Carlos had thrown all year the way he did Friday, he would still be number one on the board instead of where we moved him to number three. And it's not like he took a tumble in the rankings. Right. And, and you know, uh, to me, look at Mark Appel last year. You know, I mean, yep. he's on a team that didn't make regionals. They were you know, not a very good team. And he still went number one overall. And, um, you know, and, and Redon, you know, just because NC State's struggling, that's not going to color the way scouts see him. I mean, I think you're right. Those, those other factors could, could affect him. Um, but, you know, if, if he can handle it, then it won't really affect his draft stock. The other question is, is the Sun Belt a one-team regional conference? That's from at Wave the Red Towel, a Western Kentucky uh, fan-sided website. And I think the answer to that at this time is yes, correct? Yeah, I think so. I mean, assuming the Cajuns win the, the automatic bid. I mean, you do have uh, two teams that are kind of on the periphery of the at-large discussion from an RPI standpoint. And that's Arkansas State at 54, Western Kentucky at 58. So those are two teams that are in the mix. Um, but, you know, I look at the bodies of work there and, and, you know, Arkansas State's 20 and 15 overall, Western Kentucky's 19 and 17. There's not a lot of real exciting wins on the resume there. Um, I don't think either of those teams is an at-large team. So uh, I think it's a one-bid league unless the Cajuns uh, get upset in the conference tournament. Right. Um, back to the SEC, Aaron, I guess a couple of surprises this weekend. Well, obviously Florida winning that series at South Carolina is a surprise. Um, just because South Carolina has been so good at home, their first series loss at home, Vanderbilt a series loss at home to Texas A&M. And I'm just kind of blown away, Aaron, by Georgia. Uh, Georgia, after that poor start, um, to, uh, you wrote about it in the roundup. It was either Friday or Saturday. But at one point, Georgia was 2-6, and six, now 21-14. and 14. So they've won 19-8 and eight since then. They're, they're at 500 in the league. I'm not sure that Georgia's a regional team, but they've won three straight series now. Uh, home against A&M, at Mizzou, home to Tennessee. It gets tougher. They're a long road streak ahead for the Bulldogs. A pretty nice coaching debut there by Scott Strickland to show the Bulldogs and their fans that this is a guy who's going to make them competitive. And we, we obviously believe pretty strongly in Scott Strickland, guy who took Kent State to Omaha. I'm pretty impressed with what the Bulldogs have done. Yeah, me too. And, you know, if, if the Field 64 came out today, I think they're probably in. Wow. Uh, wow. I mean, hey, they're 7-7 they're seven and seven in the league, like you said. That's um, third place in the SEC East. They're number 42 in the RPI. Um, I mean, they won three straight series. It's, it is incredible. You're right that, that they're in this position. I mean, uh, you, right now I think you have to take them seriously as an at-large contender. And, and I didn't think we would be there. At this point in the season, um, you know, it, it, I'm not saying that they're going to be able to sustain this. The next two weekends, they're at Florida, at Vandy, home against South Carolina, at Ole Miss, home against Kentucky. That's where they got left. So, <laughs> so do I think they're going to be a regional team? No, um, not against that schedule. But 
if it were today, they'd be in for me. I think so. I mean, it's close, but I think they're they're probably in. So, kudos to Scott Strickland. Absolutely. Um, you know, they've they got some pretty good young players there to build around, and those guys have performed. You know, Robert Tyler picked up another win this weekend. The, the, the very talented freshman that we like a lot. Yep. Um, and those guys are, are, you know, they're playing hard. I mean, good good for them. Another impact freshman, Stephen Wren, speedy outfielder, has got 13 steals. Was a highly regarded player out of high school last year in Georgia, and so they. Their freshmen have performed, and uh, that's a big way, and that's a big part of turning things around there for for Coach Strickland. Any concerns for you, Aaron, out of those two series losses that I mentioned from uh, Vanderbilt and South Carolina? It feels like Vanderbilt. We talked about this last weekend, either on the podcast or on the on uh, the hangout. Just not uh, offensively, just Vanderbilt, just not that special. No, they're not. They're they're not special, and. Um, you know, they're special on the mound and, and on the mound, they've been struggling even now. I mean, Tyler Beatty has, uh, for the last month here, really, um, since, since that, that game against NOLA, uh, he hasn't been great. He was very bad at Starkville. Um, you know, and in Tennessee, even he wasn't at his best. I mean, it, it was, I thought it was, it was a pretty good, it was okay that day. I mean, he went eight innings. It was a career high. Um, but it wasn't dominating, especially not at the start of the, of the game. And then, he, and then he lost this weekend against A&M. So that's a problem. I mean, they need Beatty to be Beatty. Um, and, you know, the rest of their, their pitching, I mean, Ferguson now I think has struggled two weeks in a row on Sundays. Um, so that's the strength of their team, and even that has been struggling. But um, their defense hasn't been as crisp. Their offense has been consistent. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's <laughs> this where's was the, a big Where's the power come from for this team? It feels like they thought Xander, you know, Xander Wheel provided a lot of power last year. It doesn't feel like this team, outside of you know the top guys, Swanson, Turner, Reynolds, those guys have hit all year. They're good players. Yeah. Condi's good player. Midseason All-America shortstop. But it feels like the rest of that lineup, no one has broken through yet. Is, is Wheel the most likely guy, or maybe Wiseman, uh, former Connor Glassy cheeseball? Mm-hmm. Are those the guys most likely to break through, or is there a guy – kind of further down the roster who could be this year's Xander Wheel, Aaron, and kind of this year's surprise contributor that can perk up this offense? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you know, they, they need they need somebody. They need somebody to, to, to kind of give them a boost here. And, and, you know, I just think this was a big series for them. They were at home against an A&M team that had struggled. Big series for A&M. I mean, hey, give the Aggies credit. They haven't rolled over. That's that's this league is so crazy. You know, I mean, it really the, is. You got a home series against a team you think you should be able to handle, and Kentucky was in the same boat. They're home against Missouri, exactly. And both those teams lose two out of three. Um, there's no gimmies. There's no gimmies, and, and and maybe it's because, like we thought heading into the year, there are also no elite teams in the in the SEC this year. I mean, last year's Vanderbilt team would have taken care of business because yeah. last year's Vanderbilt team was elite, yeah. and. This year, there is no team like that. There is no elite team in the SEC. Even South Carolina, the team that I, I still think is the best team overall in the league, they've lost a couple of series now. I mean, they've lost three series in the, in the SEC, have they not? Yeah, they have. So, you know, it's it's not – yes, the SEC is, is, is competitive, but there's also no juggernaut. There's no Virginia in the SEC this year. I would agree with that. And then you look at Mississippi State and Mississippi. Obviously, the big news was the Saturday game. It's this crazy comeback for Mississippi State. Um, well, Miss, Ole Miss scores, what, three in the 10th in the top half. Mississippi State rallies with four in the bottom half. Largest on-campus crowd in NCAA history, more than 15,000 people. <laughs> I mean, just a crazy, like the best of college baseball kind of game. And yet the Bulldogs, who went to Omaha last year, um, 22 and 15, you know, they have a basically a, a their signature series win was beating Vanderbilt, which, you know, them and Vanderbilt are both seven and eight in the league. Uh, just not, you know, they've lost five of their last six league games. I, I don't know, Aaron. It's just, I guess, just not a, uh, it's hard to put a beat on either of these teams. This is like the biggest road series win for Ole Miss uh, this year, is it not? Yeah, I think it is. And, you know, Ole Miss to me is has been they always teams have been up and down, <laughs> of course. But yeah. I mean that's why Alabama to me is so impressive at ten five of the league. They've only lost one series in can conference play. Um so that, that consistency that's why we've got them as the top rated team in the SEC right now. Um, because everyone else has had a lot more ups and downs, I feel like, than Alabama has. But 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to make of, of Mississippi State right now. I mean, they're, um, I don't know. I think they're one of those teams that is probably not as good as they were heading into the year. I mean, they're, they're clearly not a top 10 caliber team, I think, at this point. I think we've learned that. We, part of that ranking was based on the assumption that Brandon Woodruff would take a step forward. He's taking and a step backward. Step backward. You know, I threw him out there again this weekend, and again, he just got whacked around. And, um, you know, Ross Mitchell took the loss. I still think that having him in the rotation makes sense. It gives him a chance. Um, but, you know, he's not going to dominate you with his stuff. And then, you know, they're, they're just they're still looking for answers to the lineup. I mean, not having, not having you know, Renfro and Frazier, their two best players from last year, that does matter. And, um, I don't know. I, I think I think they have enough talent to make a run um, in the postseason. They they still have some arms in the bullpen, you know, Lindgren and Holder, those guys. But um, they're they're I just don't think they're just they're not as good as they were last year. You know, period. They're just not. They lost a lot. <laughs> That's it. Pretty simple. They lost a lot of really good players, and you know, some of those guys are more irreplaceable than others. I just I just think it's very rare to have a power speed combination like uh, Hunter Renfro, and I know he picked it up a little bit this weekend, but boy, Wes Ray has certainly suffered without Renfro around him. And I know they're pitching a defense team, Aaron, but you just look you just look at that team, 41 doubles. I mean, they just don't have, you know about power, they don't have any power. They don't have any extra base power for stuff. For them to score, they have to string together a lot of hits and walks, and you need to mess up. I mean, they're just really, it's just all defense and some pitching for them this year. It's not even really pitching and defense. It's defense and pitching for Mississippi State. There's just very little offense, and it's just a – again, most of these SEC teams, like you said, they're, just, they're no juggernauts. It's, these, are, these are pretty – these are good teams, very hard to find a great team. And also still looks like, Aaron, this is a 10, 11, maybe even 12-team bid league. Probably more likely 10, 10 teams, as you had last week, but – I, I can't see. I still can't see him getting more than ten. I, you know, I just I think the committee would balk at that. And you know, no, no, nobody's ever gotten more than nine before. Um, that doesn't mean. You know, I, I think this is probably a worthy ten bid league, and I think that will happen this year. But um, I don't think we'll get more than ten. Okay, Aaron, uh, Pac-12. I like to hit some of these bigger leagues, and we'll try to wrap up soon on the Baseball America College Podcast, along with Aaron Fit. I'm John Manuel, but U Dub has to be talked about here. Um, the Huskies just keep on winning here and they keep on passing tests. We keep on like checking on this team every week and seeing how they're going to stumble. It would seem like Stanford was playing fairly well, but you know, the Huskies have taken advantage of the new Husky ballpark and their three league series. They've won, you know, they're seven and two at home, uh, the Arizona, Oregon and Stanford series. And they just kind of keep on trucking in league play. Yeah. They've, they've won all five of their conference series now. And, you know, next couple of weeks they're at Cal. It's, a, frankly, a winnable road series against a sub-500 team. They're home against Washington State. Um, and I'll be there for that Sunday game against Washington State in Seattle. Um, but, you know, Washington State's 500. And they're at Utah. They're 11-21. and 21. That's a winnable road series. Sure. Uh, and then, you know, they finish at Oregon State and home against UCLA. And UCLA, John, is in a, in a, in a little bit of a pickle right now. You know, they're... They're 19 and 15 overall. They're number 80 in the RPI. They've lost three straight conference series. The defending champs might not make a regional. Um, You're talking and, about it's three te- off the top of my head, four teams that were in Omaha last year: UCLA, NC State, North Carolina, Mississippi State. All really struggling this year. It feels like Mississippi State's the only one of those teams that's. I don't know if I would even say that they're a lock to go to regionals. They're not. None of those teams are locked even to go to regionals. Not to mention Omaha. I think you're right, and and it's amazing. Uh, yeah, you're, you're, it is amazing. It's a good point. And, and UCLA, you know, I watched a little bit of that series um, on the Pac-12 network, and you know, I, I think that, uh, boy, you know, they just—it's—it's kind of like we thought. It, they're just not scoring. They're not scoring a lot of runs. And Arizona, give Arizona credit, you know, because Arizona's not going to a regional. Um, you know, they're they're one sixty-one in the RPI. It's not <laughs> Are you serious? One sixty-one. But but they've they've played better here lately, and. Um, Andy Lopez has gotten those guys going. You know they uh, um, they got a midweek win at Arizona State. You know, a good series win against UCLA. They won two out of three at Utah last weekend. So they have been really down in the dumps. They lost a bunch in a row there, and and they're you know 
they're coming around a little bit. I mean, so it's not a, it's not a gimme series anymore, certainly, but still, that's a series UCLA needed to win, and they didn't. Still feel like Oregon State is the best team in that league, Aaron. We have them ranked as the top team, but I still feel like they're the best team in that league. But only two Pac-12 teams in our rankings, and there's really not. I mean, I guess three. I keep forgetting Oregon, but I mean, like, there's really not. Like Arizona State, sort of on the bubble of being in the top twenty-five, but yeah. really, this feels like a four-bid league. Boy, it might be. I mean, those four teams right now. Uh, if, if, if the if the selection is today, those are the four teams that get in. And that's it. You're right. You're right. And you know, UCLA hit eighty. I mean, again, you got a lot of RPI work to do there. Um, the other teams. I mean, Washington State is a five hundred team. That's one twelve in the RPI. Arizona, we talked about. USC is not on track to make a regional, and I, I like them hitting the season. I had them as a regional team heading into the year. Um, they're six and nine in the league. They're ninety four in the RPI. You know. Stanford has a good RPI because they played a strong non-conference schedule. They're 26 in the RPI. They're four and eight in the league. I mean, yeah, they're, they're 12 and 16 overall. I mean, yeah, you just don't see it. It's not. It's not going to be easy for the Cardinal to get to that 500 record that you have to have. It. I don't see it happening. So yeah, I think you know UCLA. I'll, I'll hold out. You know, give them a chance to, to be able to come back from this. But if you look at their their schedule. Um, you know, next three weeks: Utah, USC, Stanford. Two of those series are at home. Um, they, they should they could be able to win all three of those series, and then you've got Oregon State, Oregon at Washington. Last three weeks at Oregon State, home against Oregon at Washington. So, Buenos um, Suerte, Bruins. That's, that's a tough closing stretch. I think UCLA is in trouble. I think it is a four bid league, and it's not because uh, the rest of America is biased against the West. <laughs> not because the RPI is unfair. The teams there are mediocre. That's that's it. it. That's it. You got you got. Three pretty good teams and a lot of mediocrity. You need one of your middle-tier teams. Just comparing it to say the it's, it's counterpoint on the East Coast, the a- ACC. You need one of your mediocre teams in the middle, like an Air, a Wake Forest, a Maryland, to make a step forward, or Georgia Tech, which you know is not normally thought of as a mediocre team, but like Wazoo. Like it's happened for UW, but like Washington State, Arizona State, these teams are moderate talent. You're looking for yeah. those teams to step forward. Only Arizona State's doing it right now, and I, I'm. I'll tell you, Aaron. Arizona State has. I got to give Tim Esme a lot of credit because there's there's some vultures around him out there. Uh, you know, they're closing Packard Stadium, so a lot of alumni involved at ASU this year, and a lot of alumni are concerned about that program. And as alumni t- tend to get, the grass always looks greener. And uh, I got to give Tim Esme a ton of credit. I think I've talked about it on the podcast. You know, this is a guy. Is, Coaching track record before he got to Arizona State wasn't great. He didn't have a great record at, at, at Utah. I don't like how he got the job at Arizona State. And then their talent has ebbed every year. But this team that was really struggling, I mean, they were struggling significantly, losing that home series to Washington, losing the home series to Tennessee, to go win series at Oregon State, at UCLA. They've won their last four series now. I think Tim Esme's done a really nice job. He's under a lot of scrutiny out there. I think he knows that if he doesn't have a, a regional trip this year, he could be in some trouble. If not this year, then next year, because they're moving to a new ballpark. You know, all these kind of things. So I think a lot of kudos go to Tim Esme for taking this really a very very strong pitching staff. And you know, people like Kellogg, Lilick's going to be a big draft next year. Ryan Burr in the bullpen, so they've got some arms. But it's not an overly physical team. It's not an overly offensive team. It's certainly not a team that has the Arizona State typical draft prospects. When you look at our post we did last week, that Arizona State has the most big leaguers, you know, most alumni in the major leagues. Um, and yeah, I, I think Tim Esme deserves a lot of kudos for getting this team up off the mat and getting them to be very competitive again in the Pac-12. But that said, it's not going to be easy for them, Aaron, because you just look at their schedule the next couple of weeks. Their next three weekends are all on the road at Stanford, at Arizona, out of conference at OK State. And they're a home series at Oregon. I mean, against Oregon. So their next month is going to be really, it's going to be a tough stretch for the Sun Devils. Yeah, and, and we'll find out, you know, whether the Pac-12 um, can can even get four teams into regionals, frankly, because even that's not a lock at this point. I just think that, you know, th- these teams, John, I, I know there are a lot of good teams in the West, um, but, you know, these are, we're talking about a bunch of 500 or below 500 teams in the Pac-12. And if you're the... If you're the the you know 
the standard bearer conference in that part of the country. You got to take care of business against the the lesser conference teams, and you got to win those midweek games. And and if you're you know if you're going to play SEC teams um, like you know or ACC or Big Twelve teams from other part of the country, um, it, win some of those games. I mean, Stanford has played a great schedule, and they struggled against those really good teams. You know, yep. Cal struggled against those good teams. A lot of these these guys, you know, this year. Uh, when they've played other conferences, they haven't done well. So it's you know it's just the reality that the Pac-12 isn't that strong. Yep, that's all. That's all there is to it. Uh, last thing, Aaron. One of the bigger series of the weekend was Louisville Houston in the new American Athletic Conference, puffing its chest out over UConn winning the basketball sweep <laughs> um, as a league, as it should. And Houston with a very gaudy RPI. And yet Louisville, Aaron, goes into Houston and serves notice that this is Louisville's league, at least while Louisville's still in the league (laughs) until it comes to the ACC, sweeping the Cougars in Houston and only giving up seven runs in the process. How about the Louisville Cardinals? uh, How'd they do it? Well, you know, they they got some timely hits, certainly. I mean, they've had had a knack for that, you know, and Jeff Gardner – um, is one of those guys that seems like you're always in the middle of the action for, for them whenever they need a rally, um, and uh, and they pitch well. I mean, and then that's supposed to be the strength of their team is is they pitch. Funkhauser. Um, Funkhauser. Um, you know, Ruxer has been good for them. Um, you know, we had a real bounce back year in, in the weekend rotation. I like that they have Anthony Kiston back in the rotation now. I think he's a he's a guy that really knows how to pitch and has very good secondary stuff. I think he's a good fit as a Sunday starter, and Nick Birdie's been dominant in the bullpen. He hasn't uh, he's he can give a run, run unearned uh, or unearned all year long. Um, he's not he's only given up seven hits in like what seventeen innings. I mean, he's been a beast. And, and he went back to back this weekend, Aaron, which is one of the things I, and I haven't talked to a scout who was there this weekend, but he went back to back Friday and Saturday in those two close wins in this series. Talked to an area scout who saw him last week when he went three innings. He went two on Friday, three on Sunday. On Sunday, over three innings with a day's rest after pitching two, Birdie was 96 to 100 miles an hour, hit several 100s according to this uh, area scout who didn't say that he uh, touched 100. He said his range was 96 to 100. He hit that many 100s. The slider was sick. Um, you know, It wasn't touched, basically, and and held that stuff over three innings. So Nick Birdie... A real draft wild card because of the closer profile, but in a year of velocity, this guy probably has the best arm in the country, Aaron, yeah. and he's an X factor for Louisville if he can continue to be this successful pitching on back-to-back days. What a difference maker for Dan McDonald, Roger Williams, Chris Lamonis, and that coaching staff. And John, I bet you he go he jumps up the draft, and we had this debate a little bit we last did. week when we were putting together our, our top fifty. I think he goes. Uh, I think he goes in the top 15 picks, and I wouldn't be shocked if he goes in the top 10 picks. I think somebody's going to bite on that guy and say, we can get this guy to the big leagues fast. And he, he's, he's, you know, he's, um, <laughs> come on. I mean, he's, he's a slam dunk, back of the bullpen, shut down guy um, for me, you know. And, 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 I, and I, I just think that that's valuable. I know, he's, I know starters are valuable. They throw a lot more innings. Uh, they're, hard, they're hard to find. But this guy's... This guy's really good, and, and I think he's going to get drafted really well. I mean, to me, just look at the draft lineup. I mean, like, he's not the kind of guy the Blue Jays would typically you'd think that they would take, but the Blue Jays pick 9 and 11. You got two picks right there. <laughs> That's a guy you might take as your safer pick, kind of like the, the Nationals did the last time a college closer got drafted that high. It was the Nationals picking at 1 and 10. They took Strasburg. They took Storen. Or was it or was it Harper and Storen? I forget which year, but Storen went 10th. Uh- yeah, and uh, you know, and shot to the big leagues pretty quickly. I'm with you. The more I think about it, and the more the birdie does it, the higher I think he's going to get drafted. So um, certainly not a calamitous weekend for Houston in terms of its regional hosting chances, but um, or, still, or is it? They're four and five in the league. They're still six in the RPI. So right. So they're still in, they're still in fine shape for hosting. I think, and Louisville needed this to. Boost their hosting chances. They're they're now up to twenty eight in the RPI. Um, you know, there's still work to be done there. But I, I think right now, um, you know, you'd have to say Louisville's ahead of Houston in the pecking order because they just swept them, even though you know the RPI says otherwise. So there's there's still things we need to learn. Um, both those teams could conceivably host, I suppose. But I have a feeling it's probably going to be just one out of the two. 
And what do you think of the rest of that league, Aaron? Central Florida leads the league, certainly playing better after a little bit of a rough start. Is that the only other hope that uh, that league has for an at-large team? Yeah, and they're you know they're another team that has RPI work to do. They're at seventy-eight right now, um, and uh, you know they've got Louisville at home and they've got at Houston. So those are, those are some opportunities for UCF. Um, you know if they win those series to really make a statement, and, and maybe they can get in that, into at-large range. But they have fattened up against um, you know some teams that are kind of the the dregs, I guess. I mean t- Temple. Right. You know, it's 10 and 18 outside the top 200. Cincinnati's outside the top 200. They swept both those series. Um, and then they've won two road series at South Florida and at Memphis, you know, two teams that have a little bit more talent, but Memphis is scuffling now. Um, they're, they're probably falling back out of the, the regional contention. So, um, you know, I, I think UCF to me feels like a long shot for an at large spot, but they're, they're in the discussion. Last but not least, I should have talked about this when we talked about the, the, the Pac-12, but uh, the Big West, Aaron, another big – we talked about Cal Poly. But another big, Big West series this weekend, UC Santa Barbara beats Fullerton two out of three. The Titans drop out of our rankings. So while there's all this attention on NC State and Indiana got all this attention early for you know being highly ranked and being quote-unquote frauds or whatever – Here's mighty Cal State Fullerton, four national championships historically, a certainly a titan in, of college baseball, and the Titans are out of our rankings. And Aaron, outside of sweeping that series at Oregon, Fullerton really hasn't done anything impressive this year, yeah. <laughs> and they don't deserve to be ranked. It's just uh, I tend to agree right now with Rick Vanderhoek that you can give some Fs to this to this lineup. I know we've talked about them a lot, but I mean. How worried are you about Fullerton? Is, is you know, do you how different are they from NC State in your view? They feel pretty much like NC State to me. I was just going to make that comparison. You know, it's one of those teams where um, I saw. You know, I sat there and watched them for two games in Wichita, saying, "Okay, you know, let's let's uh, let's see if they at least pass the eye test." And and they didn't. They really didn't. They looked very ordinary to me, um, like NC State did in those two games. Those are two teams that I wanted to believe in the talent, and I came away just kind of. Shrugging my shoulders, you know. I, I just, you know, those are those are those are small sample sizes, and I'm not someone who likes to to form sweeping opinions based on one or two looks. Um, but if you combine that <laughs> with the bodies of work, um, that's it. You know, it, there's there's enough to really make you you worry about these teams. And now Fullerton has to go to Cal Poly, and they're I think a significant underdog in that series on the road against 30 and five Cal Poly, a team that has passed. Test after test against good teams. Crazy. Uh, that's crazy. It's it's just, and that's the thing is Cal Poly. You know they've proven they're better than just about anybody in the in, in the Pac-12. You know maybe anybody in the Pac-12. And they, when they play Pac-12 teams, they they take two out of three at UCLA. They take two out of three against Cal. They split those two games with USC, and the, the third one was rained out. Um, you know, and of course they swept Kansas State to start the year. Uh, Cal Poly takes care of business and. You know, Fullerton has not. Um, I think Santa Barbara showed a lot of character this weekend, certainly, after losing that first game. They needed to win this series. They had lost the previous two series. Santa Barbara, I think, is a much more offensive team than the Titans, although the two games that they won this weekend were low-scoring games. It is college baseball, after all. And, it, and it's Fullerton. I mean, Eshelman, even, even with the injury to Garza, Eshelman, Wiest, Bickford's a 10th overall pick last year, Ghana, Davis out of the bullpen. I mean, this team still ha- pitching is not the problem. No, and that's and that's probably why I still think they're probably in better shape long term than NC State is because they have depth of quality arms on the mound, especially now that Garz is back. Um, and I still think that could be a carrying factor for them. Whereas, what's NC State's carrying tool? You know, um, I don't have one. I don't know. So I, I think you know maybe, maybe I guess Redon and Turner. You, you say okay, maybe Redon and Turner will just get hot and carry this team by themselves. Right. Right. Um, uh, but, but, you know, I think, boy, I mean, I still believe, I still believe in Rick Vanderhoek's ability to coach offense and to get his, to motivate his teams. And, you know, we, we talked about this before, you know, today in the top 25 meeting. I mean, um, I think he's got a long track record of, of getting a lot out of his guys. And I know I'm, his style is, is abrasive, but I'm with you. On, I'm with you on the, I'm definitely with you on the, his ability to coach the offense and to get something out of an offense. I think that's proven you know, for a long time. The the motivational part of it, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, players today are even different than they were even 20 years ago. So I do wonder about that as they continue to not snap out of it. 
Yeah. You know, at what point does that hard bitten kind of hard driving style, when do they tune them out? When, when do they tune a coach out? So, but I'm completely with you on the, his ability to coach offense is very long proven. So. And it did sound like he, you know, he didn't let up on those guys this weekend. I saw a tweet um, after his post-game comments on Sunday, and, and it sounds like it was more vinegar. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> you know, you, you do wonder. I mean, this is this Cal Poly series is huge for the Titans. They're right now they're on the they're on that bubble. I mean, they're they're number forty nine in the RPI. Um, wow. You know, they're eighteen and thirteen overall. They're they're a team that could also conceivably find itself slipping out of at-large range, and that's insane to think about for Cal State Fullerton, especially you know with the, with the pitching talent that they have, the expectations they had after last season. Um, I did not expect them to be in this position. And Irvine is kind of, you know, certainly, Aaron, Irvine <laughs> has picked things up. I mean, I'll just be this blatant about it. Mike Gillespie is my favorite college baseball coach ever. I, mean, I love, love He's number one. Huh? He's number one for you, huh? I love Mike Gillespie. He's I mean, one of the greats. He's awesome. I mean, I miss. I haven't talked to him in a long time, but I love Mike Gillespie, and this team is just rolling right along. I mean, I know schedule's part of it, but eight and one, their their RPI is very similar to Fullerton's. Last I checked, it was fifty six. Yeah, and they're in Andrew Morales. I don't know much about Andrew Morales, but what a what a ridiculous year Andrew Morales is having. This team's having a pretty great year, but yeah. Andrew Morales, tell us a little bit about what what's got Irvine off to this twenty four and eleven start, and what what has them in regional range. Well, they pitch. You know, that's the big thing. They got a veteran pitching staff, and Morales is certainly um, the best of that of that group. I mean, he's just a, a proven, you know, pitchability guy. He won a lot of games for them last year. Um, he just a, you know, it's not overpowering stuff, but he's got good secondary stuff. He locates, and he's a bulldog. And uh, you know, he's been outstanding for them. And um, you know, they've won what three, four straight series now since they lost two out of three at Nebraska. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they've had a little trouble in some of the midweek games, especially, you know, the West Coast Conference team, San Diego, Pepperdine. Um, those teams have, have had their way with them a little bit. But, uh, you know, I, I think they'll need to start winning some of those games here. But, um, you know, they're, they're right now they're in the mix. I mean, I had them, at, I think, in regionals last week. Uh, I had the Big West as a four-bid league. Um, you know, right now it could be a two-bid league. It could be a four-bid league. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll see. I think the, the remaining schedule for Irvine will tell us a lot because they haven't played right. the three best teams yet. They haven't played Santa Barbara, Cal Poly, or Fullerton. So right. we'll find out in the next month if they're for real or not. Well, uh, if, you, if, you need a, if you need more evidence of uh, how great Mike Gillespie is, go, uh, go watch Moneyball. He's one of the A's coaches ragging Ooh. on uh, Scott Hatterberg's uh, inability to play defense. So uh, that's, that's, that's Coach Gillespie in that scene. And, uh one of the many things I love about Coach Gillespie, his ability to uh, seamlessly uh, fit in as an actor as well as a as a, right. as a baseball coach. But uh, we spanned the globe a little bit, Aaron. Did I miss anything this week? We, we had a wide-ranging podcast here. Well, we didn't talk about everybody, but we, we covered enough ground here. I think uh, uh, Texas had a big weekend in the Big 12. I'm going to write about them in three strikes um, so people can come back tomorrow and, and check that out. Well, there you go. Yeah, we didn't talk about the Big 12. I, I guess I can stick a fork in uh, Kansas State, can I not? I think they're in trouble, you know. And, and Got swept this weekend. Yeah. Last place in the league, 2-7. and seven. That, that, that league, that's a, one, that's a team with one team in the rankings. That's a league with one team in the rankings, Aaron. I mean, I it, guess Oklahoma State should be in the mix, and I know we've discussed them, but they don't really have – you know, a great series to kind of hang their hat on either. I mean, I guess they swept West Virginia this weekend, but on the road, which I thought was, which I thought was a nice uh, statement weekend for them. Cause West Virginia, you know, had been playing, uh, well, I should say they had been playing that well, but um, you know, they had a good RPI. I mean, it's, that is a good road series. When I do, I do like West Virginia's pitching um, three straight series wins for Oklahoma state, TCU, Texas tech, West Virginia. Those are all quality series wins. Um, and they needed them because they're, Non-conference schedule was weak, and their RPI was their RPI was uh, horrific, and now it's up to seventy-one. So they're, I think, on their way to probably making a regional, um, but they need to keep it up. You know, I mean, the, Kansas State has been a disappointment. You're absolutely right. That's a team that I kind of thought heading into the year. I wondered if it was sustainable. You know, with the with the way their their pitching was set up, um, but I thought they'd hit a lot more. And um, yeah, I mean. Uh, 
that, that, that's been a disappointment. There, there's been a lot of teams that have not lived up to expectations, and maybe the expectations were unfair, but they won a regional last year, you know, and Cal State Fullerton won 50 games last year. NC State was in Omaha last year, and all these teams had guys coming back. So it's not like we set unreasonable expectations for them. I think they had the same expectations we did for themselves, yep. and they've fallen short. I mean, for Texas, in that league, I mean, you're looking at TCU. To me, TCU and Oklahoma State are the next two best teams in that league. Well, Texas plays them at home the next two weekends. Yeah. I mean, so the the Longhorns can really put a stranglehold on that league, um, and it'll be a nice bounce back for that program, and it's been a nice, nice bounce back for that program so far this year. You know, last year we were having hangouts, Aaron, about struggling veteran coaches like Augie Garrido and Jim Morris. And uh, Augie Garrido's got Texas at six, and Jim Morris had, you know, University of Miami's got him up to nine, uh, 15 in the Baseball America rankings and uh, having a really good year for the University of Miami. So yeah. had, I had to go there. Now that I've done that, we may as well sign off. So <laughs> I can't, I, I don't think I can go any, uh, any lower than uh, my, my Jim Morris invitation. But um, are you, is this this week that you're going to Seattle, or is it next week? Next week, I'll be going to uh, Corvallis for Oregon, Oregon State for the first two games and then up to Seattle on Sunday. But this week is, is uh, uh, Easter for, for me, so that's, that's the annual beach trip for my, uh, my wife's family. So I might not see any baseball games this weekend. I don't know if that's acceptable in here, and I don't think I'm going to be going to many games. Uh, I've got a, little, uh, got a little injury piece this weekend, so we'll see how that comes out today at the orthopedist. So I uh, hope that goes well. But uh, looking forward to uh, the ESPN3 subscription and watching a lot of college baseball that way. Um, so thanks for all your time, Aaron. I want to thank everyone for listening. Remind everyone this podcast is powered by Louisville Slugger. Leave your mark with a 2014 attack raid and assault bat lineup this season. Stronger, lighter, farther, Louisville Slugger. That ding means it's time to go. So for Aaron, I'm John. We'll see you in the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.